if there's a God, what does he think about you? I think typically our answer would be, well, he's probably mad at me. See, everyone right now is mad about something, right? And so God's definitely mad about something. And probably what he's mad about is something you've done, right? See, God, we think, is really just like everyone else. He's easily annoyed. He's easily angered. He's easily offended. But what if we're wrong about God? What if we're wrong about how God sees us? What if he's different? What if he's better? What if he's actually not mad at you at all? Let's talk about it together. Most of us think if there is a God, he's probably not very happy with us. And think we could easily make a list of things he's not happy about with us. In fact, I'll, I'll wait. Go ahead and make list all the things God's mad at you for. Just kidding. Don't do that. That's depressing. See, we think, you know, sure, God loves me, but that doesn't mean he's not bothered by me or annoyed with me or mad at me. It doesn't mean his patience isn't wearing thin. And think about it. Who wants to feel that? Who wants to feel judged and looked down on and, and disappointed in? So what do we do? We avoid God. We, we hide from him because who wants, who wants that? But here's the thing. What we think we know about God keeps us from discovering what God thinks about us. And in our last episode, we, we showed that God wants us to know who he really is. And so if God wants us to know who he is, it's kind of like us wanting our kids to know who we are. And if you had the chance to introduce yourself to your kids for the first time and they would understand what you were saying, how would you do that? How would you, what would be the main thing you wanted them to know about you? Well, that's kind of a chance God had with the nation of Israel. They had been in slavery for 400 years in Egypt, immersed in Egyptian culture and religion, and then he freed them, you know, Moses, the Red Sea, that type of stuff. And he has a chance to tell them who he really is, who this God is that rescued them. And so he introduces himself to his new nation, his new family that he's created, by telling them a story. We call that story the book of Genesis. It's the first book in the Hebrew scriptures. And in, in the very beginning of that book, he talks about creation and how, how God created everything, and, and most importantly, why he created. And we saw that God created everything for us because he loves us, and he created us because he loves us. But the question is, what does that love look like? Like, What's that love like? And so Moses, by the direction of God, continues the story of creation with the pretty famous story of Adam and Eve. Now, Jesus alludes to Adam and Eve being real, so I tend to lean that way since Jesus did. But whether they were the actual first people or the first humanoids with some kind of consciousness to understand what was going on, or whether they were chosen representatives for the human race, or just it's just a metaphorical story, we can see the truth in this story of who God is and what he actually thinks about us. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but the Lord God warned him. You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Whew. So from the beginning, look at this. From the beginning, God based his relationship with Adam and Eve on trust. He said, look, all you have to do is trust that I will give you everything you need, all the food you need, everything. All you have to do is, is trust that I will give you everything you need and then enjoy it. And what we see there is that God bases relationships on trust. And think about it. 
He gave them all they needed and more. I mean, like every tree. That's a lot of food. Gave them everything they needed and only one rule. Don't eat from this certain tree. Millions of yeses and only one no. See, God's gifts are immeasurable and his requirements are minimal. But we assume for some reason it's the other way around. Why do we do that? Where does that come from? And good question. Why is there a tree in the garden at all? I don't really know. But isn't it funny how we still focus on the one thing they couldn't do? What is that? Now, maybe a possible explanation of why there was that tree in the garden is that humanity was created innocent but not righteous because righteousness is remaining innocent in the face of temptation. And so to not have any choice but to be innocent doesn't actually create righteousness. And so righteousness is using free will to choose to trust the goodness of God because love requires free will. And God gives us a choice to either trust him or not. And so for who knows how long Adam Adam and Eve chose to trust God and they enjoyed everything that was given to them. They were naked. The world was perfect. Their relationship with each other was perfect. Their relationship with God was perfect. But after a while, For some reason, Adam and Eve grew discontent with all the gifts God had given them. And they chose to listen to lies. The text says, lies of the serpent. Chose to listen to lies that that God couldn't be trusted, that he was keeping something from them. And so they chose chose to eat from the one no tree. And because of that decision, sin entered the world. I describe sin as saying, you know, what I want is more important than you next to me. And uh, N.T. Wright kind of explains sin as rejecting what it means to be fully human. So they were rejecting their natural relationship, what it means to be a human, to trust God, and their natural relationship between, of trust between God and humanity. See, sin is the result of refusing to trust God is who he says he is. And so they ate, they disobeyed, they didn't trust God. And we don't understand the gravity and and the severity of sin first entering the world. See, a world with sin is all we know, right? It's like a fish trying to be like, what's it like to be wet? That's all they know. Or you know when you listen to your voice on a microphone or on YouTube, and it doesn't sound the way you expect because you're used to hearing it a certain way? That's what it's like. We, We don't understand what it's like to live in a world of sin. But from that point on, Everything that was once perfect was now subject to decay, to corruption. And for the first time, Adam and Eve experienced what we all now experience because of sin. Shame, fear, separation. See, sin creates shame, fear, and separation. I'll show you. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. So they first were like, oh, geez, we're naked. We need to hide ourselves from each other. This is, this is shameful. And so they hid from each other. They, not, they, they were physically separated from each other and emotionally separated from each other. There is now a, a fear of rejection, a fear of being known, of, of being vulnerable, And we still do this, right? We still hide our true selves from each other. So they hid from each other. Their sin caused them to hide from each other, and it caused them to hide from God. See, sin makes us afraid of God because we assume he's like us. 
When, when someone rejects us or, or turns against us or disobeys us, we get mad. That's when we think God's the same. That's why it's hard to believe that God is actually for us because we wouldn't be for us if we were him. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Look at that. God comes to the garden and he calls to them and he says, where are you? Right? He calls, not, not like he didn't know. But think about it. He calls to them. They, they just ruined everything. Like they purposely rebelled. They assumed the worst about God. But God didn't turn from them. He didn't shun them. He didn't even scold them or yell at them. He didn't, he didn't make it so they couldn't hear him. It's not, he didn't say, where are you? Get out here right now. Now you're going to get it. No. He pursues them. He actually seeks them out. He initiates a dialogue to restore the relationship. He pursues them. He, he seeks them out. He initiates a dialogue to restore the relationship. How? He asks a simple but profound question. He says, where are you? And actually, that's a good question for all of us. Think about it. Where are you? And Adam says, well, I was hiding from you. Why was he hiding? It says he's naked, but meaning like he's, he's afraid. He's afraid to be seen. He's hiding because he didn't know. When our fear and shame make us hide, God's love compels him to restore us. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I command you not to eat? The man replied, uh, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. He tried to avoid shame by placing blame, something we all do. Because he says, it was, it was the woman. He, first he blames Eve, right? Way to throw her under the bus. And then he says, it's the woman you gave me. Then he blamed God. He said, you, you let this happen, God. It's not my fault. You could have stopped it. You made her. You put her here with me. And God, seriously, why'd you put the tree here in the first place? And then Eve, later on, blames the serpent. Now, how would you respond if, if you were God? Like, if you're a parent, your kid purposely disobeys you, like knows the rules and chooses to disobey you on purpose. He, he chooses to disobey you. He, he ruins the entire house, your entire property. He squanders all the gifts you've ever given him. He assumes the worst about you. And instead of owning up to it, he blames his girlfriend and his pet snake. See, God was clear about what would happen. If you eat from this tree, you are sure to die. God had every right to just kill them both and start over. But he doesn't. Instead, he reveals who he truly is. Then God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. And so he tells the serpent, and representing Satan and, and sin and evil and death, he says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, right? Plural. I will cause hostility between Satan and evil and sin and death, between that and all of humanity. All of humanity will be subject to the consequences of sin and will constantly have it battling against them. But then something interesting happens. God says, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Singular, 
right? It seems kind of out of place. Talking about plural, and then it changes to singular. See, God switches from talking about the human race to talking about one particular human. One particular human who would come and, and crush sin and evil and death. One particular human who would set humanity free from the power of sin and restore creation to its original perfection. And at the very moment Adam and Eve ruined everything, God promises to come into their mess and fix it, to restore the relationship. In fact, Jesus claimed to be that person, that that singular offspring. And then he proved that he was that one and proved God's true heart for us by dying and rising again and conquering the power of sin and, and conquering that ultimate separation created by sin, death. See, Jesus destroyed the separation sin created. And then God promises to fix it, but he also tells them about the natural consequences of what the separation will cause, that childbirth will be painful, that relationships will be painful, that that work will be painful, and that one day they will die and they will return to the dust from which they came. And in the meantime, they have to leave this perfect garden God created for them. But in the middle of all this, There's one more little detail, a little detail that reveals how much God actually thinks about us. It reveals exactly how God thinks about us. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. That seems like nothing, right? That seems like, okay, interesting. Here's what happened. God personally clothed them. They're like, those fig leaves, that's a terrible job. You don't even know how to sew. Here are some animal skins for you. He covered their newly found shame in a way that's so much better than they had done. See, even though they chose to rebel, he gave them what they needed and proved his love and care for them. Listen, you're watching, listening, listen right now. No matter what you think or what you feel, God sees you with compassion and care. And so this story is how God chose to introduce himself. He chose to show us that he's not pointing a finger at us. He's actually waiting with open arms. Like he's chasing, like when I chase my kids to hug them and they try to run away and we play and then I get them, that's God with you. See, the story of Adam and Eve shows you can never run so far that God won't forgive you, he won't pursue you, and he won't fight to restore you because God is persistently pursuing our restoration. In fact, the rest of the biblical writings are the story of God's pursuit, of the, are the story of God restoring us to him. The, the story of Abraham and the nation of Israel and Moses and, and David, and then Jesus restoring everything. And then the rest of the New Testament writings show what it means to live in that restoration. In fact, the Apostle Paul put it this way. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. So God is asking the same question he asked in the garden. Where are you? Yes, you. Where are you? He's not asking in order to judge you. He's asking because he wants to restore your relationship with him. He wants you to know him and enjoy him. He wants you to know and experience daily his never-ending, never-giving-up, always and forever love. And so, where are you? Are you hiding from him? 
Or are you enjoying his love? Are you avoiding him in some way? Whether, you know, you've been a Jesus follower for years and years and years, or whether you're just kind of trying this out. Are you avoiding him because you feel shame and guilt? Listen, he's not mad at you. He loves you. He is not against you. He is for you. If someone will, is willing to die for you, they are for you. So again, I want to give you permission to enjoy the fact that God is not mad at you, that he loves you. I want you to read about what God does for us and how much he does love us. So this week, let's read Psalm 103. Read it once a day to really just see how much God loves you, what he does for us. And then pray a very simple prayer if you're ready. If you're ready to enjoy and accept that love, when he asks, where are you? We can say, here I am. Show me your love. Simple. Think about it. What if we could stop hiding? What if we could stop stop running and simply enjoy God's full embrace? He's not keeping us at a distance. He wants to fully embrace us. What if we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt God was not mad at us, but that he loves us and that he's for us? What if we trusted that his love was not dependent on anything we do or don't do? What if your kids knew this? What would their future be like? If your kids knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was for them and loved them, they didn't need to run or hide whenever they did anything they think he might be mad at, how would that affect their future decisions? How would that affect their self-image as they become adults? What if your neighbors and your coworkers knew that God was for them? See, what if our sin wasn't an opportunity to hide from God, but an opportunity to turn to him and be reminded of his unending, limitless love? See, the truth is, God is not mad at you. He is lovingly pursuing you. God is not mad at you. He is pursuing you like the loving father that he is. And maybe this video or this podcast is one of the ways he is doing that. Let us know if you think uh, that is true or you have questions about it or musings. You can email us at infoyourcrosscreek.com or go to our website, yourcrosscreek.com slash welcome and use that welcome form to send us your questions, your prayer requests, or anything else that you might be thinking about. But it's a great way to uh, communicate with us and let us know that you're here because we are here for you. This is put out by Cross Creek Community Church. We are a church physically located in Salem. We meet at Gateway Foursquare Church on Idlewood Drive on the second and fourth Sundays of the month. We're very excited about our May 8th get together. We'll be gathering in our usual way, but it's Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day, moms. We're gonna be providing dinner for moms and families. We're really excited about the menu that's coming out on May 8th. We're also gonna sing some songs, take communion together, and there will be a short message, but it's just a great time to gather together. Youth Connect is happening on the first and third Sundays of the month, so check out the calendar on the screen for that. And we look forward to connecting with you in person or via email. Uh, thank you for liking and subscribing. Thank you for rating and reviewing this podcast if you're listening to it. We hope you have a fabulous, fabulous May, and we'll see you soon. And he says, your offspring, I will cause, I will cause, I will cause, I will cause,
spot. Fully <laughs> <Really> cross. Hope <laughs> it. Will you do like the, well, let's talk about it. So let's yeah. talk about it together. And then turn around. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs>